Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of conversations about law practice. Each week, we talk with legal entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are your hosts. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. It's just me again this week, and this is episode 193 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, I'm talking with John Strohmeyer about bringing the Four Seasons experience to a small law firm. Today's podcast is brought to you by LawPay, New Law Business Model, Smokeball, and ARAG. We wouldn't be able to do this without their support, so stay tuned, and we'll tell you more about them later in the show. As you probably know, if you've signed up for a free Lawyerist Insider account on Lawyerist.com, you've got access to a whole bunch of checklists, templates, and other practice resources for free. But we know the process of getting them is a little clunky because the software we use to deliver them to you is set up to be an online store. So you have to add each download to your cart and then check out, and we know it's a little clunky. Since they're free, it would be nice if you could just click to download them. We're working on making that happen. Unfortunately, it's not just as easy as flipping a switch, so it'll take some time to make sure we get the user experience right. So please bear with us. I think before the end of the year, you'll just be able to click and download anything included with your Insider membership. So stay tuned for that. And if you don't have an Insider membership, it's free. So sign up today on the front page of Lawyerist.com. Thanks to those of you who brought it to our attention. When you take the time to tell us about stuff that's broken or that you think we could improve, it really helps us prioritize our projects. So thanks. And now we've got a brief sponsored conversation with Gene Clausen from ARAG, and then we'll jump into my conversation with John. Hi, Sam. I am Jean Clausen, and I am with ARAG. And ARAG is a company that partners with attorneys to provide people affordable, professional legal help. And in my role as legal industry advocate, I work with other industry influencers like yourself and lawyerists to help bring out broader education to consumers on how to identify their legal needs, assert their rights, and understand the value of working with attorneys. Hi, Jean. I'm so glad you're with us today again. So today we're going to talk about ratings and reviews, and maybe it's worth saying the difference between those two things? Sure. Well, I think it's important to understand they always get lumped together. So when you're on rating sites, the rating is actually the numeric or the one through five, one through 10 or five stars, which is giving you that number of how a consumer or a client is judging you or rating you on their service. And then the review is the actual feedback portion where they're going into greater detail and sharing more about their experience. So some sites will offer both and not always when a consumer leaves a rating, are they forced to also leave a review? So just I think that's important to understand because many times it can get confusing. Gotcha. And uh, just for the record here, why should you know anything about ratings? Why should we listen to you? (laughs) Well, good question. So with ARUG, we work with more than 13,000 attorneys and have more than what we call 1 million plan members, which are clients in essence. Mm -hmm. So we maximize those insights because we are surveying the client experience journey working with attorneys. So for all interactions, we produce millions of cases a year. We are surveying those plan members about their experience with attorneys, about do-it-yourself documents, about their interactions with ARUG. And we ask them to rate things such as expertise, those interactions, communication, and encourage them to provide reviews. So these results provide us with lots of tangible information where we can help the attorneys participating in our network understand where they can help make their practice more successful and where they're really hitting the mark today with consumers and service. So how should lawyers be thinking about ratings and reviews? 
Well, I think it's important to understand consumers are leaning on ratings and reviews within the legal industry just as they would any service industry. And we really want to help attorneys lean in and see that these provide a potential tool for success in their firm. Reviews and ratings can really help attorneys identify any gaps in service they might have and hone in on those specific areas. So uh, obviously when you say tool, the lawyer doesn't get to write the ratings and reviews, but in the way that the lawyer delivers the service, they have a lot of control over what their clients are going to think about them. So if you can distill down what you've learned about ratings and reviews, what makes the biggest difference in positive reviews? Ooh, the biggest difference is attorneys don't perceive communication as critical to the client experience. And clients feel communication is just as important as an attorney's knowledge and quality of work. So communication is one of the key factors in success for getting positive ratings and reviews. What does that mean? Like when we say like, what does good communication look like? Can you give us just a snapshot of what that might be? Yes. So things like communicate and communicate often. We always say you cannot over communicate when offering a client experience. And another key factor is setting expectations throughout every piece of the process. Mm -hmm. So as you're working with your client, helping them understand that's communicating at every step, what to expect, what's next, what the results of what actions they just took, whether it was a hearing or an upcoming hearing, really preparing that person for the experience. And we have examples of those reviews that I can share as well. Sure, Jean, let's hear one of those reviews. One of those reviews where you can see the client perspective and the attorney's perspective, an attorney received a lower score from a client that said, I won the case for my client and they received everything they asked for. I don't feel this rating is justified. Meanwhile, the client shared every step of the process was painful. He didn't return my phone calls. He didn't tell me what to expect. And I never knew where I stood on our case. I would not want to work with him or his firm again. So even though the attorney provided the service and the outcome was positive, the client didn't view the service meeting their expectations because there wasn't enough communication. Hmm, makes sense. So listeners, if you'd like some information and tips on how to get better reviews through better client service, go to araglegal.com slash rockmyratings. And we'll obviously include that link in the show notes. so You can click on it. Thanks so much, Gene. Well, thank you, Sam. Have a great day. My name is John Strohmeyer. I'm the proprietor of Strohmeyer Law PLLC, where I help clients from Houston, Texas with their individual tax and estate planning issues. I don't hear lawyers describe themselves as proprietors very often. No, it's something I got from <laughs> high school, uh, and it just always stuck with me. There was a little coffee shop near one of my best friend's house, and we would go over there, and it was Willie's Coffee Shop or whatever, and his business card just said Willie, and it said proprietor under there. I like that. And it, it just stuck with me. I was like, that's a great name. And it really, you know, it's more than just partner or managing partner or member or entrepreneur. It's I'm responsible for it. I'm, you know, propagating this firm. I'm going to, I have to look up the etymology of it now because it is it means the the holder of a property so it's the word comes from property so you are the holder of the property that is your law practice i'll take it i'll take it that <laughs> like works. it but your background is also this is this is your second career so tell us about your first career right so i took a long winding path to being a lawyer 
And my first career after I got out of undergrad and I needed a break from school was I went and found the best job I could to keep me in Austin, Texas. And that was working at the Four Seasons Hotel just down the street from school. And I just started off there thinking, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'll just come work for this hotel. This sounds interesting, long enough to fill, you know, a short break. Mm -hmm. And then I'll go go on to law school. And I ended up staying there because I got promoted from front desk to the night manager about nine or so months after I started. And it was a tough job, kind of mortgaged part of my 20s to go to work Tuesday through Saturday night, starting at 11 p.m. and leaving about eight or nine in the morning. Hmm. But it was an interesting business. And I was basically left in charge of this multi-million dollar business every night for about eight hours, and the decisions were left with me. Let me back up then. So how long have you been practicing law at this point? I am just over nine years in. Oh, wow. And how, how old is your firm at this point? My firm turned five months on September 2nd. Not new to law practice, but you are new to your own. Yes, I am new to being in charge and making all the decisions. <laughs> That's good background. What, what did you do before your solo practice, just for context? Uh, I had practiced with three different firms. I started off in Austin at a small boutique firm focused on high net worth estate planning, foreign trust administrations. Uh, I moved to Houston, where my wife and I are both from, when it became time to move back home. And I practiced with a larger firm for a few years. Ultimately, the larger firm didn't have enough of the work that I was looking for. And I moved to a small boutique firm for a few years, uh, focusing again on high net worth estate planning. And at the end of last year, just it was it was time. It was time for me to go out and work for myself. Gotcha. Cool. So um, that kind of places some context around what you're doing here. Maybe we should start by talking about what you learned at the Four Seasons. And I, I gather there is a thing called the Four Seasons Experience in all capital letters where you... Um, which is a thing that the Four Seasons tries to deliver to all of its customers. I don't know if there was a all caps Four Seasons experience. <laughs> or at least experience is capitalized and maybe trademarked. <laughs> right. I mean, there were a few things that I'm happy to kind of pull back the curtain on some of the, yeah. the inside baseball because, it one, it's interesting. Two, it does apply to what lawyers do. And not just lawyers, but also doctors and accountants and engineers and any, you know, anybody who's trying to serve the public, which is, well, everybody. Well, yeah, but before we even get into what it has to do with lawyers, just what is it? I mean, I, I've, I've heard of it. I think it's come up in a business book here or there, but I don't actually know what the Four Seasons experience is. And I will tell you, before you had said Four Seasons experience, I couldn't give you what that definition is. I don't think that may not have even been something that was defined when I was there, but the kind of the quick thing that everybody repeated was, it's the golden rule. Take care of people as you'd want to be taken care of. You know, they had a funny little uh, initialism that I've kept, you know, for service because that was what we were focused on. You know, we were there to serve our guests. And so service, each of those letters stands for something. Hmm. S, you started everything with a smile. E, for eyes, you're making eye contact with everybody. R, for recognition. V for voice. I informed you knew what was going on. Everything then was C for clean. And finally, everyone was involved. It wasn't just the people on the front lines. It was everybody. And that was, I mean, it was important enough that it was painted in two foot high letters down the hallway that everybody walked in and out of, of the Four Seasons Austin uh, when I was there. They have since repainted that hallway and they put that service back there even after they've repainted the hallway. It's, it's that important. Kind of the way this manifests, is, as far as I can tell, is at, at, I don't know, at a Super 8 or something, there's a checklist and a procedures manual and you follow it. 
And if somebody comes to you and they want something and it's not according to procedures, you probably just say no. Whereas at the Four Seasons, the goal is you never get to use the procedures manual or the checklist as an excuse for not doing what you can to make the customer happy. Right. Uh, that would definitely be part of it. It's You got drilled into you. This is how you check somebody in. This is the 25 or so things that are going to happen during a check-in. Now, you as the client checking in wouldn't necessarily notice 25 things. There Certain things were an absence of doing something, like specifically, don't do this. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that, that doesn't cover every situation. It gets to, okay, well, this covers a normal check-in. What happens when, you know, somebody asks for this or this other weird thing happens? What are we supposed to do? And part of it was training like, oh, well, here are things that we have done in the past, or this is a resource that's available to you if something like this comes up, and ultimately make the guest happy as fast as possible. Hmm. (laughs) What, What does that mean? Say more about that. So when I started out as a front desk agent, I still had a manager over me. I had somebody I was reporting to. If a guest walked up and said, hey, I'm having this problem, if I delay some sort of resolution by saying, let me ask my manager, that doesn't necessarily help the guest resolve the situation. If I can say, oh, that's terrible, let me fix this for you right now and let you keep on going, Mm -hmm. instead of not being empowered by the hotel to just make things happen, then that's the better answer. You know, saying, oh, that's not in the procedures, let me go ask. Now, it's better to just be able to get it done and resolved and they can go back to doing whatever they were that wasn't dealing with some issue. And so it like part of it is that you you explicitly have permission to deal with people's issues before you go and ask somebody about it. Right. You know, you you kind of learn the the murky boundaries of what you could do. You know, there are certain things like, well, don't give away the hotel. That's the far end. <laughs> Right. But if there's, you know, like gauge it to what they're looking for, you know, if, if we're waiting to check them in because their room isn't ready, there is a food outlet that is open somewhere in the hotel at that point. Mm-hmm. Have them go there and just take care of whatever you need to take care of. If it's just a drink, it's just a drink. Don't offer them dinner if it's three in the afternoon and it's going to be 15 minutes. Just say, oh, you know, we'll take care of a drink for you while you're waiting. They're obviously going to have to pay for this. No, I mean, it may depend. I mean, a lot of it is that kind of lawyer answer of it depends where, look, if it's 415 and we don't have a room ready for you, we're probably going to take care of whatever it is we need to take care of for you. Hmm. On the way, way other end of it, there was one time where I ended up having to charter a plane for a client at the hotel because we had missed a wake up call. And it was six in the morning on a Monday. We were in Austin. The guest needed to be in Houston for a 9 a.m. speech. It's a two and a half hour drive. Well, I couldn't get in the car. We ultimately figured out, well, we can charter a plane, have the Four Seasons in Houston pick him up and get him there on time. And that was the length that we had to go to. And that was one of the stories that ended up being just taught and taught and taught at the hotel. Like, this is what you need to be prepared and how you need. I mean, step one, don't miss the wake up call. Right. (laughs) But step two, if you do. Yeah. And it's it's also the understanding mistakes were going to happen. Like, it just you have to understand that. As much as we train, things will go wrong, and you just have to be ready to react and say, oh, okay, yes, this is not good. Me just talking at you and apologizing doesn't fix it. How can I actually fix this for you? Gotcha. How do you start thinking about transitioning this to a law firm? Because that's my understanding of your goal is you are trying to take this 
um, this idea of the Four Seasons experience and build the kind of law firm that the founder of the Four Seasons would have built if he went into law practice instead of hoteliering? Hotel, hotel? <laughs> hotel yeah. He's a hotelier? Yes. I, yeah. And <laughs> that's the thing. It's like, well, I know what I did at the Four Seasons. You know, I was the night manager for three years, but what I was doing there, you know, part of it was a technical, like running reports every night, doing some uh, accounting work. And part of it was the client service aspect. So if we kind of tease that out, all right, well, I, what was that service product that I was giving to the guests of the Four Seasons? And how can I adapt that to be delivered to clients of my law firm? You know, the, the technical part of what we were doing in the hotel you know, the fact that it's different, does that shouldn't affect the fact that I should still be taking great care of my clients. And what can I do to regularize that and just know, oh, this is what we're looking to do. And this well, is how it, we're going to do it. it feels sure like, that- like it's your firm. You are the primary person doing stuff. Part of the Four Seasons experience is about empowering employees to do things that they wouldn't ordinarily be able to do at other companies. But you're the owner, you're the boss, you can do whatever you want. So how do you... St- I mean, it, it feels like the Four Seasons approach is more of a management approach. It's not about managing yourself, or maybe I'm misunderstanding a bit. Right. I mean, it, it's part of that management is setting those expectations. And this is what we expect, you know, you, the employee to do. And this is how we know when you've done it. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of email, but it was mostly internal at the Four Seasons. Now I'm a lawyer. Of course, I'm spending way more of my time than I should every day dealing with, <laughs> right. with email. But knowing, all right, my standard this is what I want to hit is that emails are going to get responded to within 24 hours, basically business day. And if I'm not going to be able to hit it, at least I need to warn, you know, give people fair warning that it might take longer. Like I just got back from vacation. So I had my out of office set. Hey, I'm going to a place where it's going to take me longer to respond to emails. You know, one, that place is called vacation. <laughs> but two, we were also in Yellowstone National Park and Glacier National Park for a few days. Like there literally was no cell service. It didn't matter that I wanted to check emails. We had no service on our phones for long stretches of time and kind of setting people up and saying, look, it's going to take a while and just understand that setting the expectation for my clients. Hey, this is going to happen. Also backing it up a few days before letting clients know who had pending matters. Hey, I'm going to be gone. If you need anything, Let's get this sorted out now. Gotcha. So we need to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. When we come back, uh, I want to talk about kind of how you measure that and how you gauge whether or not you're succeeding with what you've set out to do. So we'll be right back. Smokeball practice management software exists to streamline small law firms and reduce the stress of running a small business. With Smokeball, your firm is much more organized, productive, and profitable, meaning you and your staff can breathe easy with less stress. Visit smokeball.com slash lawyers today to learn more and book a demo. Like what you see? Lawyers podcast listeners are eligible for 50% off onboarding. With Smokeball at your firm, it's less stress and more success. If you're not 100% happy with your law practice right now, chances are you want more. More income from your practice, more fulfillment from your work, and more freedom to enjoy your life. There is a new law business model that is allowing passionate attorneys to reclaim their lives and love practicing law again. Alexis Neely has been training lawyers for over a decade on the new law business model she created to build her own million-dollar law practice. And now, the lawyers she has trained in that new law business model have their own high six- and seven-figure law practices, all without sacrificing time with their families and only working with clients they love to serve. 
It is possible to experience the exhilaration of a thriving law practice, do the most meaningful legal work, have a real impact in your clients' lives, and have complete control over your schedule. Discover this new law business model now by watching the free video workshop series at newlawbusinessmodel.com lawyerist. Did you know that attorneys who accept online payments get paid 39% faster on average than those who use traditional payment methods? With LawPay, the only payment solution offered through the ABA Advantage program, you can easily accept client payments online, via email, or in person. No equipment needed. Visit lawpay.com lawyerist to sign up and get your first three months free. Trust the only payment solution developed for attorneys and recommended by 48 state bars. LawPay. Hey, John. So we're back. And before the break, I said I wanted to talk about kind of how how you measure this. So because it feels like the experience is something that that is an experience. It's something that is experienced by your clients or your customers. And so how do you know if you're doing it? So, and, and that's the trick. How do, how do I measure it? A lot of things are just knowing certain things you can't measure, like smiling. It's on, on or off. And so I got to put myself in the mindset of, OK, the client's calling. I need to take this call but I don't want them to be upset. So step one, smile, you know, smile at the wall if I have to, because even if I'm not face to face with the client, that smile is going to come through mm-hmm. on the phone, but knowing, okay, look, this is what I'm setting out to do. How can I make it easy for the clients to know what's coming up and where have I hit things? And I'll tell you, I mean, it, it's different for every, you know, the standards that you set up would be different for every business. And as I'm building this, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what it looks like for me. Mm-hmm. Because there are things where I'm looking at and saying, I don't know what this looks like, but I think this is it. And I don't want to put a number on it yet, but I'm kind of putting a range down of, I think this is about right. And then, all right, was that a reasonable expectation? Was it okay for me to tell them I'd have something by the end of the week? Or should I have said, it's going to take two weeks? Hmm. And then iterating on it, just say, okay, we learned from doing this. Let's do it again. And the next time it comes up for a different client or maybe for the same client, we'll kind of track that and see, okay, it will take this long to get this done. What kind of problems are you running into as you're trying to implement this? Some of them aren't unique at all. You know, it's like, oh, I'm starting to get more clients than I can handle all at once. And I, you know, just have two hands and two eyes, just manpower. Beyond that, it really is finding people who are going to get it. You know, I think you and uh, Jordan Furlong mentioned Jerry Riskin's quote of getting the people who are on the bus in a recent episode. Mm -hmm. And that is so much of it. I mean, when I was taught how, you know, how to interview and what to interview for at the Four Seasons, one of the things that they stressed was, look, you know, this is not the Four Seasons home for wayward souls. We we don't have the time or the bandwidth to train people who can't show up and be nice and be on time and kind of have those basic job skills. If you had those basic skills in place, we'll teach you to do anything. If you want to be head chef, it might take you longer than if you had just come out of culinary school. But there's a spot and those are skills that we can train you on. So it's finding the right mindset and getting those people on board. How is this different or similar to the the concept of net promoter score, where you basically just ask your clients how you're doing, you know, on are, would, are you likely to recommend us? And then you take that score and 
continue to keep trying to improve it and improve it. It seems to me it has a lot in common with this idea that if you are delivering the Four Seasons Experience level of service, uh, it should be reflected in a score like that. Is there a difference in your mind or you know, does something like Net Promoter Score essentially get you to the same level? I mean, I think it does because you know, the Net Promoter Score is really, well, here's a metric on what people think of what they get from us. Mm-hmm. Do you like me? Check yes or no. <laughs> Yes, that's a great way of measuring it. I mean, at the Four Seasons, we handed out you know comment cards at the end of it and checking off boxes, and you got a report. I think it was every month of like this is these were the two hundred odd comment cards that we got. This is where the scores came in on this. So it was definitely something that the Four Seasons was tracking. Hmm. So it, when I when I learned about Net Promoter Score, it wasn't anything new about oh my god, people track that, people care. No, it was <laughs> it's a metric that has been adapted to something, you know, to a law practice. So if someone listening is like, okay, I love this idea, I want to run with it, how should they start thinking about delivering the kind of experience that someone would get at the Four Seasons? Like if you were going to give somebody an instruction manual for this, what what would you tell them to start doing in order to start delivering that level of experience? Okay, so as kind of the background, you need to think about what you're delivering to your clients. And I think of it as a combination of three things. You know, there's a physical product, which could be like physical documents, the area, like what your office looks like, it's furnished, like what what you've got there. There's the technical product, which for lawyers is going to be that legal knowledge and analysis. And then finally, the third thing is the service product. And, you know, people call it customer service, customer experience, client service. That doesn't matter. But it's that service aspect that people are trying to dial in, you know, until you've got the physical or technical product or that combination down, focusing too much on the service isn't going to get you too much. Because if, you know, if you've got a junky product that doesn't work, who cares if people smile at you and take care of you and respond quickly? So with that in mind, well, you know, what is service? Because we all have an idea of like, oh, well, the people smiled at me. And then people kind of trail off after that working and thinking about it over the years of having worked in firms, what is that service? Come down to, you know, a four-point lawyerly definition of customer service being the experience that any business provides that's beyond its physical or technical product. And it really is, what is a business doing to simplify the process of working with it? Hmm. I suppose one of the other things that crops up for me is, I mean, the Four Seasons isn't exactly an affordable hotel. It's it's somewhere like two or three times as expensive as a nice hotel. And so do you think you're able to deliver that level of experience at a lower price point? Or are you looking for clients who are willing to pay for service? It's a combination. You know, the, the, because of the changes in the market, there are reductions in prices that are just going to be part of it. Like I'm not charging as much as I could have charged or did charge at prior firms. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of things that are just simple that, you know, it's not just the exclusive domain of white shoe firms. And I don't want anybody to think like, oh, okay, well, look, I'm not an AMLAW 100 firm. I don't need to worry about it. It's You still want to take care of people. And there are a lot of things that you can do that don't cost you anything. You know, smiling at folks when you start that conversation <laughs> won't cost you anything. Right. You know? You know, actually having everybody make eye contact when they're talking to you, that is one of the things that I see almost everywhere I go. Like you walk up to a counter and I get that, you know, the person behind the register does need to look at the computer screen. But if they spend 90 percent of their time staring at the screen and not looking at me, it does make a difference. And, you know, as you go forward, just notice 
is the person actually looking you in the eye when they're helping you? Or are they just kind of staring off somewhere else? And you can start picking up on this. And it's not just at registers, but okay, well, if I'm on the phone with you, are they doing something in the background? How can, are they really paying attention to me or are they checking email and trying to multitask? (laughs) (laughs) Because I I will admit I have been guilty of this. I try and think, okay, look, this, this conference call is taking way too long. I'm not involved. I will perk up when somebody calls my name. But but that but that's easy to tell. Right. Yeah. Right. But I get it. It is but it's not always just in those moments like oh, okay, well, clients calling and they're talking about this thing. Maybe I'm going to do this, you know, try and get something out. Now, I've noticed that I've got certain clients like who are more attuned to this and I have a loud mechanical keyboard. And sometimes I'll be taking notes during the call on the call. And I've just learned I need to stop taking notes on my keyboard and just handwrite them because that way I can handwrite them and they won't notice just as a way of conveying like, look, I'm not, you know, I'm not typing an email to Bob while I'm talking to Jane on the phone. It really is, you know, I'm not creating that distraction. I suppose, I, you know, I've thought about this in terms of sitting across from somebody too. Like you may think that your laptop is essential to note taking while you're communicating with a client, or maybe there are things that you legitimately need to look up but you need to be mindful of the impact that doing that is having on the person sitting in front of you. A laptop is a pretty standoffish thing to be having between you and your client. And so you change the way you do things to try and give them a different or a better experience. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I will probably say that I don't think I ever took a laptop in the meetings unless <laughs> I do it occasionally only because I'm a tax guy. And so I will have Excel spreadsheets open just so we can see like, this is, you know, here is one decision. If we make this other decision, this is what the numbers look like. But I like I just don't get taking notes on a laptop in a meeting. It really is like you walk in with a legal pad. The legal pads should probably like at this point, I'm setting up conference rooms with legal pads for everybody I know who is coming and a pen ready to go. So they walk in and say, oh, you know, the three people I know I'm meeting with plus me, there are four notepads and four pens ready to go. I knew that they were showing up And it wasn't just, oh, here's an empty conference room that could have been ready for anybody. We're scrambling. Oh, oh, my God, you're here. Uh, (laughs) Instead, it's I knew you were coming. I am excited you're here. Look, I put out this notepad because I want you to take notes, too, if you want to. And just recognizing that that's a thing that they're going to think about. You know, clients want to take notes in a meeting. It's not just you, the attorney. So being ready for it. And if they don't want to take notes. Okay, well, it was just there and you at least were ready to go. Going back to like as a as when you were working for the Four Seasons, it strikes me that guests could easily abuse this kind of do what the customer needs attitude. And I'm wondering if, you know, how did that play out? Does somebody come in and they're just an asshole and they demand everything and you say yes or like <laughs> at what point are you cuz on the one hand, this sounds a lot like the kind of empathy that you bring to the client relationship if you are trying to design their experience in, in line with design thinking, or you're just trying to iterate around that client experience in, in an agile process or whatever. But it sounds more like the bend over backwards for the customer thing. And I'm just wondering, where where do you draw the line on stuff like that? If, if you're actually at the Four Seasons, where where would they say, no, you're an asshole, get out? <laughs> I mean, it was rare that one of of the things they taught you was don't start a sentence with no. Mm-hmm. You could generally, you know, if they were in the restaurant, they were only going to be there for a few hours. Just kind of, okay, <laughs> they will be gone eventually. Uh, at the hotel side, 
okay, they'll probably only be here for a few days. You can grin and bear it. But yeah, you're right. It does come down to certain times. You just need to say, no, you're not being nice and we're not going to put up with this anymore. And I did call the cops on people at the Four Seasons a few times. I mean, there was one time where a guy had had more than he should have at the bar, but not so much that we could throw him out for being intoxicated. Mm -hmm. You know, he's just being a real jerk. And it's like, okay, you know, this happens to some people. Sometimes it's not always their fault. And what can we do? And finally, like the last straw was... He had ordered food in the in the bar and just started throwing it and just throwing a hissy fit. And I was like, this is it. Sir, you have two options. You can either go to your room and stay in there or I will call the police. I like the idea of sending him to his room. <laughs> yeah. You know, like either way, like both of these options require that you leave this bar immediately. <laughs> and, you know, it just you looked at it and figured out the way that kind of, how can we be nice to people? Because that's what we want to be. But at the end of the day, you just say, okay, look, most people aren't going to abuse this. And the ones who are going to abuse it, like if they get a, they, if they get you once, okay, well, you know, how much were we really out? Like, oh, you know, my room was dirty. Give me the room for free. Yeah, we, you know, we're probably not going to do that. <laughs> but if they come back and every time you see this person is making this same complaint, well, you know, oh, that's amazing. And so you... You at least know what to look for. You start looking for those red flags on the way in and you get wise to some of those as you go along. Like some of them got taught to us, some of them, you know, developed and like, oh, okay, well, this is how they're going to try and do something. But for the most part, people don't really do that. Yeah. And I suppose part of it is a huge part of it is setting expectations up front. Mm -hmm. That doesn't have anything necessarily to do with the four seasons. It's just smart. Right. You set those expectations and what you're looking at is you're also limiting your downside. How can you just say, you know, this is what we're willing to give away. If this happens, you're looking for a response kind of in this value, if you will. If something more goes wrong, then we're going to do a bigger value. And you just kind of gauge it to what's what's going on. It, you know, there, there are no hard and fast rules, which I know lawyers hate hearing. Like we need, you know, the one true answer for everything. But it's <laughs> going to be different. You know, you have to understand that the service that, I design the experience that I design for my firm is necessarily going to be different than the service that gets delivered in a family law firm, in a criminal defense firm, in a client, you know, consumer protection firm. It has to be different because those are different clients coming from different places and you just adjust to the particulars of each practice. Anything else you want to leave us with on the subject of the Four Seasons experience? Oh, the Four Seasons experience. <laughs> it's within your reach. It is. It, it really is. You know, it, my my goal really is not just to have my firm be the one and only. I want to help others get there, too. Well, John, thanks so much for talking with us today. It's been a pleasure. And my understanding is that you are going to be giving a, us a download to distribute to listeners. Yes, uh, I've got my little white paper on what I think service is and what lawyers need to be thinking about. It should be available through however you're going to distribute that. Yep, we'll put the link in the show notes. So take a look for that, too. You can find those on the show notes on lawyers. Thanks so much, John. Oh, thank you, Sam. Make sure to catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast app. And please leave a rating to help other people find our show. You can find the notes for today's episode on lawyerist.com slash podcast. The Lawyerist Podcast is produced with help from Lindsay Calhoun and edited by Paul Fisher. 
The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you. Thank you.